The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2016, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon is from Saturday, June 4th. Hopstate, New York, presented by New York Hop Farmers and Brewery Amagay. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. I want to welcome everyone to tonight's salon, Hopstate, New York. My name is Pete Johnson. I'm with the Brewers Association, and this event is brought to you by the Brewers Association. I'd just like to let everyone know that this session is being recorded by craftbeerradio.com, and it will be posted to the craftbeer.com website next week. So with that in mind, when you have a question, I'd appreciate it if you would just raise your hand. I'm going to come over to you with the microphone so we can better capture your question on that recording. So with that, I'll turn it over to our presenters who will introduce themselves before they get started. Good evening. Um, thank you all for joining us for Hop State New York, the past, present, and brewer of the New York State hop industry. I'm Allison Capoza. I'm the publicity manager for Brewery Gang. This is John Tahowski. He's the event coordinator for Brewery Gang. And this is Mr. Stephen Miller. He is our friend from Cornell Cooperative Extension, and he is New York State's first hop expert. Um, I'm going to turn it over to John, who's going to introduce our first beer, and then we will get started with a, hopefully a very interesting lesson about the New York hop industry. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, so the first beer that we're presenting today that we're going to talk about and how it relates to New York hops is the Florida Hublon. Uh, Florida Hublon, the name actually means flower of the hop, and we started brewing this beer first in 2013. Um, after a very successful first year, we increased production um, for 2014, and in 2015, we added something that was a little different that consumers may not have noticed. Um, we replaced all of the uh, out-of-state Cascade hops in the Florida Hublon with New York State Cascade hops uh, for the 2015 release. And uh, much to our uh, accomplishment as a brewery, uh, people weren't able to detect the difference of the high-quality New York State hops versus the uh, hops that we had used from other states and other regions. Um, so the beer is just a very fun, easy-drinking summer seasonal. Uh, it's 6.8%. Comes out nice and early uh, in like a April-May sort of rotation. So it's that first wave of summery beers, the kind of beer that makes you uh, long for sitting out on a nice patio, enjoying a great beer, maybe some great conversation with friends. Um, at 6.8%, it's a little higher than sessionable, so you may want that porch or patio to be your own. Um, but it's definitely, uh, definitely a, a great, easy-drinking beer, and one that we've been able to feature at New York State Hops in. So. All right. Well, as Allison said, I'm uh, Steve Miller, and I work for Cornell Cooperative Extension in New York State. And New York was one of the largest producers of hops in the world 100 years ago, and that ended at some point. Uh, and we're on our way to restarting that all over again, actually with a lot of help from Oma Gang. Um, I want to talk about what hops are and what, the, uh, what part of the hop that the brewers are interested in, because... We've got some that you can, we'll pass around and you can kind of smell in and don't taste them because they, you're not going to be happy with that, but, the, uh, but rub them in your hands and smell them and you can find out uh, exactly what's going into the beer. Uh, I'm working with the growers and you know, they, most people in New York have not grown hops in, in a very long time. We, it's, it's been a hundred years, so there's no farmers now that have been growing hops at that time. Uh, so it's a very steep learning curve for people to learn how to grow hops. And what we're after, you know, you all see hops and we've got this green dried up mass. What the brewers really want is what's in the hops. They don't really care about all the leafy part. It's the, it's the chemistry that's in the hops. And if you look at this slide up here on the, on the right, You'll see what's down the center of that strig, the stem that's in the middle, are called lupulin glands. And that's where all the bitterness, where all the oils are in the ingredients that we want to get out of the hop and into the beer. And it's, it's important to know that that's where it's coming from because for brewers, they're very concerned about what they call hop utilization. 
and they don't get 100% of that hop out when they put it into the brew kettle. It's, it's only a certain amount that is, they're able to utilize. And so to save money, brewers uh, work as hard as they can to try to get as much out of those hops as possible. Um, the hops that we're passing around right now, so you know, are from three New York State hop farms that we worked with um, last year and this year on the second beer we're going to talk about, which is Hop State New York. Um, there's Cascade and Chinook and Nugget hops. Um, so if you do have the opportunity to smell all of them, um, I think it would be very beneficial as you can see the difference between the three hops. And instead, as Steve said, if you get a little brave and rub them in between your hands, you'll really get the full um, aroma of those. Try that because, you know, smelling them really just out of a glass uh, will not give you the, will not really give you the whole uh, experience of, of what they smell like. You've got to kind of warm them up and break them up. Those are pellets, and when hops are harvested, they're dried and then, uh, and then uh, baled into, into large bales and then ground up and, and produced through a pelleter. So... This is the way the brewers want to use them. Hop yards, this is where they're grown. Uh, in a typical yard, uh, at the top of the slide, you'll see that they're grown on poles, anywhere from 18 to 20 feet tall. And they will continue to grow. But what happens is once they reach the top of the pole, the hops bend over and they start forming side shoots that come out and that's where the hops actually start being produced on the, on the binds. If you look on the bottom slide, that's a typical yard in the Yakima, Washington Valley. Um, right now, that's where most of the hops have been grown in the United States is in, in Washington State, Oregon, California, and Idaho. Not so much in California anymore. They've for the most part, moved out. But Washington State, there's about 30,000 acres there. And uh, so there's large farms. And this one represents about 1,000 acres. And when you go out there, you'll see just hops after hops after hops. And it's like kind of being in a kelp forest. When we look at that, it looks like they're just kind of hanging in midair, doesn't it? But they're, they're growing on a trellis. And if you look at the top slide, you can actually see the cables, and we have coconut husk twine that they grow up. And that twine is put up new every year, and that's what the, the hops grow up on. This little closer shot of that, so you can see on the, on the slide on the left, that's actually a, a hop yard in New York State. Um, one of the farms that your Peterson's farm, in fact, uh, where those hops came from, He's over in the Finger Lakes area. The hops are perennials, and so they're growing. They're not like apples or grapes where they have a woody plant. They're growing up from the ground each year, and when we harvest them, we cut the entire plant down and pick the hops off, and we'll have some slides of that. Um, the slide on the right is a hop plant that we found growing wild, and we've found quite a few in New York State. They're, they're actually all over because, as I said earlier, we grew about 40,000 acres of hops in New York up until about the turn of the century, and that's the turn of the 20th century. That plant is, has about 12 pounds of wet hops, fresh hops on it, hand-picked. And when you dry them down, it's about four to one so if you have 12 pounds of fresh hops, that's about three pounds of hops that are dried. And a typical yield um, for most growers might be 1,500 to 2,000 pounds of, of dried hops uh, for an acre. Yep. So hops are, have been grown and in, in used, to, you all know this because you're all interested in beer, but they've been used in beer for about 1,000 years grown primarily in, in Germany, in the Czech Republic, uh, in England. This happens to be um, in, in Germany. But they're a northern latitude plant, and they are native to the United States as well. So there were hops growing here even when the Europeans came. There's, there are species that are the, essentially the same species that they grow in Europe, uh, just different varieties. And 
this is the way they would be uh, handled in order to get up there and put the strings up every year. This is what you had to do. Um, in New York, we don't allow that anymore because it's not OSHA approved to do that, but... Um, I think it's really sad that we don't use stilts anymore. I know, that's it. Allison wants them to use that. This is the way we want to do it at Omegang, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. Now, does anybody have a guess of when this picture was taken? Eighteen eighty. Yeah. Well, let me just give you a hint. Uh, in in New York, they started growing hops commercially in about eighteen oh eight, and uh, for about a hundred years, continued to do that. Um, and when I first saw this picture, I thought it was about eighteen eighty myself. But a friend of mine, the girl on the left, that's actually his grandmother, and he knows that it was taken in 1905. So they were still hand-picking at that time, and it was a lot of work. It, it takes, Allison, how long does it take? A, forever. Forever, yeah. It's a, about, she knows because we pick them out at the, out at the hop yard, at, we have a variety trial at Omegang. Um, it takes about, one person an hour to pick one of those plants that I showed you earlier, those big bushy plants that are 20 feet tall. It takes about an hour to hand pick all those hops. And then when you dry them all down, you've only got you know a little package, about three pounds worth. So it's, it's very time consuming. Um, this is typically the way they did it though, with a box that had four sections in it. And the people would go work in the fields in New York. They'd, they'd go to the harvest for about five or six weeks and they'd live right there in tents on somebody's farm. And the whole family would pick and you got paid by how many times you filled that box. I did this for the last couple of summers at Omegang when we've done our harvest and so I'll go up from the office and spend a couple hours up there. It is the most labor-intensive, kind of miserable garden job you can think of. The plants are very scratchy. I mean, even just in like a long sleeve light shirt, I was sweating to death, and, and I only did it for an hour. So to think that, that people did this in heavy, heavy clothing, nothing that was moisture-wicking, um, in the hot sun, you know, for five weeks through the summer is just kind of baffling to me. Um, it really, really was hard, hard work, um, but people would volunteer for this. This would be their summer vacation. And they would, um, you know, come every summer up to the same hop yards and they would spend time picking. And it was a very social um, activity. And there, we, we talked earlier today about there being um, a lot of carousing and a lot of drinking uh, when they weren't busy picking. Right. We, um, I have an article from 1880 that was written about uh, Madison and Oneida counties, which is in the central part of the state. And it's called uh, the Gospel in the Hop Yard. And they used to actually send missionaries to keep people in line because they were, it got so rowdy. Uh, you can imagine, it's, it's 85, 90 degrees. They're all dressed like that because we're picking hops in the middle of August to the middle of September. So it's, and they're picking them even on days when it's raining. It's miserable out there. They're living in tents. Well, they had to do something to keep happy. And uh, so... That's what, what people were doing for about five weeks. But it was good money. It was, it was great money for the farmers. There's a lot of mansions in New York State and central New York and the leatherstocking Mohawk Valley area. And those people all made money uh, by growing hops and, and picking hops. Um, now, Allison did mention about it being hot. And they've all got gloves on and long sleeves, don't they? And part, part of that's because they are so scratchy, but it's also because um, hops contain a lot of natural estrogen, and actually women who, young girls and women who are pregnant should not be picking hops. I mean, it's all right to go out and pick some, but you don't want to, to pick a lot of them for five weeks with, and getting all those oils on, on your skin because you will, will absorb them right into your skin. And, um, of course, there's, for men... There's other reasons why you wouldn't want to be absorbing those into your skin either, estrogen for about five or six weeks. So this is what it looked like. People would bring their kids and they would, they, 
the whole family would stay there. And um, this kid had obviously had enough of picking hops. And they, they were paid with tickets. In, in England, they used metal tokens for, for hundreds of years. But in, in the United States, people were paid with t these tokens that the uh, farmers would print up and they'd put their name on them. And it, you'll notice if you look close, it says non-transferable because they didn't want to pay for somebody else's hops that you've picked on somebody else's farm. Um, and they didn't pay you with cash. This is what you got until the end of the season. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, if, you know, considering how miserable it was, if they paid you, you'd, you'd go out and it'd be all gone, or you wouldn't come back. So this is, this is a, a, one way of keeping people coming back, um, back to the farm to get the harvest in. This is what a typical hop barn would look like, and hops have to be dried so that we can uh, uh, store them. And if you look at this barn, you'll see a couple kind of odd-shaped silos, and we still have those all over New York State right now. Um, they didn't have fans, didn't have electricity, so they had to figure out how to dry the hops, and the way to do that is, is with uh, gravity so that you put heat in the basement, it, it rises, heat rises, hot air rises, and it goes up through the hops and dries them out. They used to actually burn sulfur in the basement too on the stoves. The sulfur would help keep the hops from molding. And, and of course, I don't know if any of you are home brewers, but most brewers don't want a lot of sulfur in the beer. So my, my expectation is, um, Beer probably wasn't all that good 150 years ago. When you think about it, they didn't have any good ways of storing the hops. Um, the grain, they didn't have a good way of storing the malt either. Um, my guess is um, we're really at a time when beer is at its peak. The best beer that there's been around really for hundreds of years because we have the best quality ingredients that are going into beer now and the, and the best people making it. Sure. Now, I mentioned earlier we had about 40,000 acres of hops being grown in New York State, and right now we've, we've only got 400 acres, but five years ago we only had 10 acres, so we're, we're starting to move up. What happened in 1919, everybody can see the slide, uh, was was prohibition, but we actually started losing our hop acreage before that. So there were a lot of disease and insect problems because we had 40,000 acres of hops all being grown in the same general area, and eventually when you do that with agriculture, you're going to get some disease or insect problems. But something else happened actually before prohibition. Um, anybody, re I know nobody was here at that time, okay. But any guesses? Yeah. Grapes. Oh, well, yeah, we had some wine being produced, but not, not too much. World War I. World War I. And why, why was that important? Well, I just mentioned we had a lot of disease problems. And at that time, they used copper sulfate to, as a fungicide. And when the war broke out, there was no copper available for for farmers to use as a fungicide. And when we have disease problems and you have no, no way of managing those diseases, uh, between that and prohibition, that was pretty much the end of the hop industry in New York. Uh, so about 19, 1919, people just stopped growing hops at that time. Now that we're starting all over again, we want to make sure that we are starting with plants that are free of diseases, free of viruses, free of uh, fun fungi. And most hops out west are planted with rhizomes. The picture you see on the left, that's a piece of root that's got buds on it. And um, that's how they're planted. They just cut up the roots and take them from farm to farm to replant more acreage. But for our growers to start with clean plants, we have a program that's connected with the National Clean Plant Network in Washington State. And those plants are all started with tissue culture. And we buy those, 
and then we grow stock plants, as you see on the right, and, and do rooted cuttings for the farmers. And it takes about 1,000 plants per acre. So if you're going to have 500 acres, that's a lot of plants that have to be produced. And we want to, we want to start with as clean stock as possible. And that's, the reason that's so important is that in order for a farmer to make money growing hops, they have to be able to compete with where the hops are being grown in Germany and the Czech Republic and in, the, in Washington and Oregon. So we've got to start with plants that are going to be productive. And in order to keep the prices low, you've got to have plants that are productive in producing a good yield and good quality. By the way, we've got plenty of time, I think. So if people have questions, just feel free to raise your hand. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh, okay. At any rate, with all those farms raising hops, were there any farmhouse breweries at that time? I'm sorry? The Were there any farmhouse breweries at that time? Farmhouse breweries. Well, you know, in New York State in 1919, or excuse me, 1900, there were 330 breweries in New York. So they were all different sizes. Um, I would say very few what you would consider a farm brewery or an estate brewery, like Omegon was set up as kind of an estate brewery. Um, I don't think there were a lot of little breweries like, like that at that time. They were more, not as large as what we have now as the macro breweries, really more kind of like in the size of, of uh, the, the breweries that are microbreweries and uh, craft brewers that we have all over the U.S. now. I don't know. Do you have a better answer? I don't know the history of New York, okay. yeah. No, I mean, actually, anywhere in the U.S., as far as, uh, I don't think there were really any small farm not, breweries. Not, yeah, not, certainly not like it they had in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gang is a, a farmstead-style brewery, farmhouse-style brewery, and that, it, we are the first of that style that was built in the United States in about 100 years. Um, so prior to that, you know, it's, it's possible, but... Um, yeah, we're a very unusual-looking brewery. Has anybody been to Omegang? Yes? Oh, oh several wow, of you. Great. great. If you have been there, so you know what I'm talking about with the, the archway, and we brew on one side, and we package on the other, and then the office space is above. Um, and John has a sweet office behind that in the visitor center, and that's where we do all the tasting, and the tours start from there. Um, that's where the real party is. Not so much in our office above the arch. Um, but it is uh, a farm-style farm brewery. And if you have been there, thank you for coming. And if you haven't been there, you should come on up and see us. And then you can see it for yourselves. So to kind of answer your question as well, though, we, we now have what's called a farm brewery law in New York State that gives uh, brewers who use uh, New York State-grown grains and hops, gives them some advantages of how they can market their beer um, and we've got about 110 of those in the state right now. They're not the only ones who are using local local hops and grains, though. Obviously, uh, Omegang is as well. So the large brewers are, are using it, too. There, there was another question. So as part of the extension work, do you guys monitor the wild populations for reservoirs of viruses? Oh, so the... That's a good question. Um, do we monitor the wild populations? And actually, um, we do encourage people who are growing hops before they go out and plant their acreage to inspect those hedgerows around them to see if there, first of all, are any wild hops growing. Because there could be some diseases like downy mildew and powdery mildew and, and some viruses. The other thing that they might find are male plants. And I didn't mention that earlier, but when we uh, grow hops, we're only growing female plants and we're harvesting female flowers. And if we have male plants around, what happens? They pollinate, right. So when they pollinate, we end up with seed. And seed is actually not something that we want to have in the beer. Uh, seed produces some oils that a lot of brewers don't like. The brewers don't want to pay for the extra weight of the seed. And something else happens when you get a lot of seed in a field. 
you know, give volunteers that are that are now off types because when we plant uh, hops, we're planting varieties that have been asexually propagated by cuttings. So when you get Cascade, every single Cascade plant is genetically the same, so they taste the same in that field. You're going to get differences from state to state and farm to farm, but Cascade, at least genetically, is the same as or Citra or any other varieties that you have. So we don't plant hops from seed. We're planting them from uh, just like you would apples or grapes from name varieties. Yep. Thanks. Now, with this new industry that we've got going, um, we've, it takes an hour to pick a plant. Remember we talked about that? So a lot of growers, when they first started, they would get their friends together to pick. You know, and that sounds great. You know, I'm going to put in five acres of hops, and then they, you know, once the hops come in, now they've figured out, I don't have anywhere near enough people to do this. And not only that, I can't pay them 10 cents an hour because that's, that's about what it'd be worth. So, you know, we had a lot of hop picking parties like this, and a number of breweries still do this to try to, uh, you know, uh, as, a, as a marketing tool to get people to come out and see the hops and see what, they are, see what they're like to, uh, to taste their beer. Um, but in order for a grower to do this, we've got to have machinery that can, that can pick. And on the right, you can see one here, this is actually antiquated machinery compared to what they use out west, but we have small farms, so this is what we've got to use. Sure. So the, the next slide here shows where we're getting these machines. Um, they're made in Germany, and they're called Wolf Pickers, W-O-L-F, and they have uh, belts and pickers in there, and they can, they can do about 100, the work of about 160, 170 people an hour. So instead of one person taking, taking the time to pick one plant, we can do as many as 170 plants with, it, with just with this machine. And I went over to Poland and Germany to buy some of these. A lot of the farms there are getting larger and they're selling their older machines, which are the size that we can use here. And in turn, they get some money and they buy some newer machines. But this one in particular was made in about uh, 1970. So they, they stopped making this size machine. And this is what we have to do. We have to buy machines that are to most farmers are considered antiquated, but they're much better than, than hand picking. So we'll give you guys a chance to finish um, the Fleur de Hublon uh, and rinse your glasses, and then we're going to um, bring out the main event, which is Hop State New York 2016. And uh, while we're getting glasses cleaned out, John will talk to you about that beer. If Excellent. So uh, as they're passing around the beer, I'll just uh, kind of touch on a couple things. Um, one thing about uh, Omegang and, and the area that we grew up on is it actually used to be a hop farm. And uh, when I was a tour guide many, many years ago, uh, of which Allison was also a tour guide many, many, many years ago, uh, we uh, were taught that New York State was basically called Hop State. Um, people would go up to the hop, and that would be those five-week-long campouts. Um, so that's actually also where that phrase, go to the hop, uh, came from, which got repopularized in the 1950s with sock hops. Uh, so what you guys are about to try is our labor of love called Hop State New York. Uh, we first introduced it last year. It was an all-New York State hop-grown beer, and uh, it was the first one of ours ever to try to do so. Um, we also did something a little different. We used an American ale yeast for this. Um, and the first year's version was a American-style pale ale. This year, we made a couple of changes to help um, progress the series and also match some of the spiciness of the New York hops. Um, so we used a little bit of rye. Uh, that kept this beer around 5.5% alcohol by volume. Um, it's a nice sipper. It's an uh, early summer seasonal for us. Um, right now, this beer is actually just making it to distributors. Um, I physically brought this beer down from the brewery uh, just yesterday, or the day before yesterday, excuse me. 
Um, so this beer is uh, a fresh, very bright, very green, hoppy New York State Pale Ale. Um, definitely an enjoyable beer, something that we only distribute within New York State, so this is actually the first time that it has ever been out of New York State, uh, to our knowledge, to the public. So you guys are, uh, are getting a special treat here. Um, you're going to notice a lot of the C Group hops, uh, which have been doing very well in New York State, as well as uh, some Nugget hops and other hops that seem to be really progressing the New York State hop industry. So we hope that New York State, uh, Hop State New York continues to push the uh, hop growth of different New York varietals, and we expect this beer to be slightly different every year um, as we continue to improve the hop growth. Our hope is that as the New York hop industry expands and, and gets bigger, um, that we would be able to expand the distribution of this beer too, kind of as a symbol of the growth in New York State, and now we're going to try to share that with states around us as well. So as John mentioned, um, Brewery Omegang was uh, founded on the former Lynn's Hop Farm. We're on about 140 acres in central New York. Um, I have already talked about it being the first farmstead brewery built in the United States in about a century, and about 100 years after the bust of the hop industry, we're growing hops there again. Um, we have what's called the variety trial. It's about a quarter acre. Um, it's in the back of the brewery. And we also planted a couple of rows of hops in the front, so as people are driving into the brewery, you actually have hops growing on either side of you. Um, our hop yard was established about three years ago, so this is our fourth growing season. And um, it, being in a variety trial, what we've had the last couple of years is 18 or 20 different varieties of hops. Um, and we're just, just kind of playing around to see what grows well and what doesn't. Um, and to get a feel for um, the, the pest issues that we might run into. Um, and we also use this as an educational tool. So when people come to the brewery, we talk about hop history. We talk about what we're doing with Cornell. Um, and we also plan some fun educational and uh, publicity-related events. Um, my favorite is the RV trip. So last year, and we're going to do it again this year, we rent an RV, and we pack it full of beer and swag, and we just drive around New York State. And we stop at farmer's markets and bars and, and local hop farms just handing out beer and handing out pins and um, talking to people about New York State hops because I think it is an industry that most people don't know very much about. Um, but it's kind of a romantic industry and there really is such a historical tie with New York State and hops um, that people are, are really fascinated um, you know, when we start talking to them about it. They're, they didn't really know that this was a thing and now it's not just a thing but it's like a growing thing that a lot of people are excited to be part of. This is a view of the back of the brewery from the hop yard, so you kind of get an idea where it's located. And this is a pretty good view of the hop yard itself, um, and also a hop that's split open to show those glands on the inside that brewers are all nuts about. Um, this year with our variety trial, we've actually removed a fair number of plants, varieties of plants that have sort of run their course in the trial. And we're going to plant um, Cascade and Chinook, which are two of the hops that are in this beer, because those are the ones that we use as well, and we're hoping that we're going to be able to harvest some of our own hops in the future and have enough that will actually make a dent, a tiny dent, um, in the hops that we use at the brewery year-round. Um, we have a hop farmer named Jason, who's very sad that he couldn't be here with us tonight, um, but he's working in the yard. And he's there part-time with us. He's um, the guy that does all the planting, all the weeding, all the mowing. Um, he reports to Steve and to our brew team about kind of what's going on in the hop yard. And this is actually his update that he sent me yesterday when I said, what's going on in the yard? And he's like, well, let me tell you all about it. So this is what he sent for an update. Um, and all of the data that we collect. So at the end of the growing season when we do the harvest, all of the vines are picked and um, they're analyzed and all of that data is shared with Steve and that's information that's just available for people that are interested in learning to grow hops. So we're hoping that our variety trial will cut out some of the guesswork for people that are excited about growing and we'll tell them these are varieties that do grow well and these are ones that don't. These are the things that brewers are interested in. These are the ones that are just really pretty but we don't really, they don't have any brewing value. So um, that's what happens in our hop yard. And uh, do you want to talk about 
harvesting and all the fun that goes into that? Oh yeah, harvesting is, uh, so we, as I mentioned earlier, we had a, everybody was interested in hops in the last five, 10 years. Everybody wanted to plant. Nobody had any information. They'd look on the internet, they'd try to find out, you know, and there's, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that's not all that accurate. You know, anybody can put whatever they want on there. And I don't know quite, what you're talking about. <laughs> Everything on the internet is 100% true. And, and, the, and the other thing is, if you're a grower and you have a thousand acres of hops, it's pretty different than somebody who's got one acre of hops. Or it's pretty different if you're in New York versus being in the Czech Republic. And I, I, I just, just uh, as a funny thing, I got interviewed for, by a Japanese newspaper just the other day, and they sent me the article. I, I can't read any of it. It's all in Japanese. <laughs> so it was nice that they sent me the article, but so far I haven't figured out exactly what they said. But in any case, grower, people that are starting out, even if you're a, a, a really established farmer or an apple grower or a grape grower, there wasn't a lot of information available. So my, my job is not to get people to grow hops. That, that's really, I mean, my job is to help people start growing hops with less risk. And the way we get less risk to be more successful is to have information on varieties, on soils, and, and, and hops are a very complicated crop to grow. Every variety needs to be treated differently, and they're treated differently when we harvest them. We have to know exactly what day, what week we're going to harvest so that they're going to be at their peak. So it's not just going out there and they look good. Um, we, we have to know exactly when they're ready because... Again, the brewers are very interested in quality. Just all of you are interested in the quality of the end product. Well, the only way to get that is to have quality ingredients in the first place. So the, the growers need a lot of information. And so this is what Omegang is, is helping us with, is to help develop that information and, and get it out there to other, other growers uh, in New York. They've paid for us to bring some very well-established, knowledgeable hop growers from the Pacific Northwest to come to New York and actually talk with our growers. And we've had several uh, seminars and field days at the, uh, at the brewery. So it's, it's been a great help for us. And in our variety trial, um, Allison said we've got about a quarter of an acre, which is about 250 plants. So as I said, an hour of plant hand picking, I'm not going to be able to spend 250 hours just picking those plants. We wouldn't get them done in time. So we had to, um, this is the way we started was with some hand picking. But then we've progressed a little bit and um, we've got some other slides here we can show. So this machine on, on the right here excuse me, on the left, is, is one um, that is a small-scale picker um, based on one that a guy made down in Maryland. And actually, we do have some people growing hops in Maryland and Virginia and even into North Carolina. Uh, and I'll digress here a little bit, but hops are a northern latitude plant. They really do better at latitudes between 40 and 45, and that has to do with day length and sunlight. So they don't grow all that well in southern latitudes unless you find varieties that are adapted to that. The varieties that are out there for the native hops that are grown in Europe and in the United States are northern latitude plants. Now this, this machine, Omegang had given us some money so that we could design something that we'd be able to pick the, not only pick the variety trials, but if somebody was starting a, a small farm, a couple acres, they could use a machine like this to get their hops picked without going out and spending a lot of money to get started. Uh, and then when they were done with it, they could, they could turn it over and sell it to somebody else if they got something bigger eventually. And we, we do have a, a video of how it works. Um, it's a little... It does look a little scary, but what you're going to see is these picking fingers that go around and knock the hops off. 
And that's essentially the same picking fingers that are used in the larger machines, the one I showed you earlier, as well as the ones that are used out in the Pacific Northwest. So. It was going? Yep. There we go. So we rigged up a way to pull them into the machine so we wouldn't be having our fingers in there. And they're on chains. These picking fingers are on chains that go around. You have to do the waggle. Yeah. That's what we discovered that was a really important step to waggle it back and forth. Yeah, so it's knocking the hops right, right off. And you can see they, it does knock some of the leaves and stems too. So we've got an answer for that as well. The larger machines have, way, have belts in them. So as they knock the hops and the leaves off, there's these belts that are on an incline. And the hops are kind of round and they've got a little bit of weight and they'll roll down, and the leaves and the stems stick on the belts, and as the belts turn, they're carrying the trash out to the other end of the machine. Now, you, you had a question? That's, that's essentially what I was going to ask. Is it a once-through operation? Uh, is it just a once-through operation? You don't get a second harvest or anything from the... From the hops once, right, once so when we harvest the, the hops, we're cutting the entire plant about four or five feet off the ground, including the string that they were growing on, and whether it's a large machine or one of these smaller ones, the string and all gets pulled right into the machine, and the hops are knocked off, and as we get a lot of leaves come off too, um, they have to be separated. But they're perennials, so they come back up every year. And, um, you know, we, they're not like grapes, as I said, they're not woody, so they, they will grow back completely. Allison's got another video of how we uh, sort the, the leaves in the, in, from the hops. So it's on this belt machine, so this is, um, last year was the first year we had used this, and so we had someone drive up with a pickup truck and set the thing up for us. Um, and so the end product is that we get beneath this, a bin of mostly hops, a little bit of leaves, um, but mostly hops. And I'll have to exit here. So the same kind of belt that's on the larger machines, it's going up an incline and the hops are rolling down. It was very much a trial and error day for us because it was the first time we'd ever used it. So there was an incline of the driveway and the incline of the belt and um, this very nice gentleman that, you know, Steve, we gotta, we'd made a lot of tweaks that day, but by the end of the day, it was really working quite well. Um, and it was so much easier than doing the hands, the hand picking and the hand sorting, which as I've told you, it's not all that much fun. This is a company in, in Utica, New York, uh, called Metal Logics, and uh, he just was so excited about building this prototype, you know, and, uh, and we, we did, had to put different belts on there, run different speeds, different inclines, and at the bottom here you see that there's like a, a um, piece of steel with some, like, look like mouse holes, and the hops, the hops fall down through those mouse holes, and then, and the leaves are too large, and they, uh, they keep going up the belt. And it really had, you can't see this on here, but again, like the larger machines, there's fans in there. And there's actually a fan underneath this belt that's sucking air down through the belt that helps the hops stay on there. Because as you noticed while it was running, a lot of them were just bouncing up and down and just bouncing and bouncing and not going anywhere. Well, once we put the fans on there, that worked really well. The hops would go out the other end and, uh, excuse me, the hops would go down the bottom and the leaves and the trash would go out the other end. So it's a lot of fun working on stuff like this, uh, um, smaller scale equipment. 
The other thing we did was, uh, this is a, a, a dryer that was built um, so we could put a number of different varieties in there at the same time. Um, we, we do pick over about a five or six week period and there's some overlap between varieties so you might pick, uh, you might be picking two or three different varieties at the same time and with a variety trial like this we want to be able to, to get them dried right away. They, they really need to be dried within about eight or ten hours. Um, if they are not dried They'll, they'll mold and they won't be able to, we won't be able to store them. Now, any of you that are, you know, probably have had some fresh hop or wet hop beer in the fall, well, that's, you know, those hops have to be used the, the day they're picked. If, if they're not used right away, they're, they're going to they're gonna mold. So um, we have some people trying to freeze them. And uh, some, of that's, some of that's going on in the industry, too, you know, to try to use some frozen wet hops. But I think they, they, the, real, the ones that are, have the best flavor are, are hops that are fresh off the plant. They're, and they're, they're going to be different than a Cascade or a Chinook or whatever you're using that is dried. Um, different oils are going to come out in that mix. But um, we do dry them. And uh, after they're dried, they're, they're compressed and, and pelleted. So up on the upper left here, that's myself and two of the brewers at Brewery Omegang. And uh, this is part of the variety trial. We were looking at hops that were brought in from growers all around the state. And as I mentioned before, you can, if you want to get into those cups of pellets there and grind them up and smell them, that's the best way to do it. And uh, this is the way the brewers do it. If you're operating a good-sized brewery, you're going out to the hop yards, whether it's in Oregon or Washington, and if you got money, you might be going to Germany to, to try some. Um, the uh, growers want to be able to see what they smell like and they look like right there at the farm. Uh, down on the lower left there, we've got uh, a, a hop evaluation that we do every year in New York to have uh, the, the, the growers will uh, bring in hops so that the, and we'll have them in one area so the multiple brewers can come in and, and try them out in one place. So um, this really, this photo kind of sums up the, the brucher of all of this. And these are the hop farmers that we worked with last year um, for Hop State New York, the 2015 edition. Um, uh, the beginning of last year, we purchased um, one and a half tons of New York State grown hops, and which was a huge amount for us. Um, we have a pilot system at the brewery. We have an innovation manager whose sole responsibility is to develop new beer recipes. And so he had lots of hops to play with. Um, and that's kind of where Hop State was born. So he had small batches on his little um, innovation system. And he would brew a little of this and brew a little of that until we came up with a recipe that we really liked. And once it was all said and done and it was packaged, we invited all of these farmers whose hops we had purchased to come to the brewery for a kickoff celebration. And it was a, a lunch, and they got to explore our hop yard, and it was a wonderful networking event for them to get to talk to each other about the different issues they're experiencing with their yards and best practices, things that were working well for them, and, and tools and techniques that they had discovered along the way. And they all got to take the beer home, and, and it was a very rewarding thing for the brewery to receive photos back from these farmers where they had actually taken the beer out to the hop yard and they sent us a picture of really like the full circle. You know, this is where it was grown and now it's, it's packaged and people are drinking it and it was, um, it's a very fulfilling exercise for us, for Oma Gang, um, to be working with Steve at Cornell and to be working with these farmers. And I think a lot of people don't realize that beer is truly an agricultural product. Most of the ingredients are grown by people and um, you know your farmer, you know your food. It's very much the same with beer. You know, we learned, we know our farmers now for, at least for this beer, um, and we get to know what they're giving us and, and learn about their craft as much as we know about our craft. And so it's been a fantastic experience for us and, and working with, you know, the, the best right here next to us with Steve Miller, um, 
has been so fantastic. And uh, so it's great. I hope that this is something that the brewery will get to continue to do over the course of many, many years. Um, I hope that you had a wonderful opportunity trying this. Um, and, and now you know a little bit about the, you know, where your food comes from or, or your drink. So. So why are we why are we doing this? You know, I mean, if if there's enough hops already to buy from Germany or to buy from the Pacific Northwest, what why do we need to grow hops anywhere else? And you know, I just want to want to say this is really good for the industry as a whole. It's great for the for the consumers because hops and other uh, the the malt ingredients. Depending on where they're grown, they do have different flavors. There's different minerals in the soil. There's different climate. There's different amounts of sunlight. And they do produce many different oils that are going to have a different effect in the beer. And what do consumers want right now? You're here because you can try 100 different beers tonight, right? Well, and you want to try 100 different more ones next week. Well, I, I think that's what's, what's great about this is that if you grow Cascade and Chinook in the Pacific Northwest, it's going to have this flavor. If you grow Cascade and Chinook in New York, it, it's going to be great too. It's going to be a little different flavor, but it'll, it'll produce a great beer with, with great people uh, making it. So it's just a matter of uh, making sure that we've got uh, everything is done right so that the brewers can use the hops with the best quality. Yeah. So how many pelletizers do you have? Is that, who does that part of the operation? You know, that's a great question. So when I started this job six years ago, we, we really didn't have anybody doing pelleting in New York. We didn't even have a way of picking the hops. We've now got 20 of those wolf harvesters in this state, so they're all over the state, and we have six or eight companies that are pelleting, anywhere from small companies that do maybe 40, 50 pounds an hour and others that are doing three or 400 pounds an hour. So we've, we've got a number. That's what's, what's happening is all these other parts of the industry follow along with the, with the ag production. And the same is true with malt houses as well. In order to get the hops pelleted, well, we, we can't send them to Washington to be pelleted, obviously. People don't even want to send them two hours away. They, they want somebody close to them that they can bring them. Um, and same with drying facilities. So we've got other people manufacturing equipment as, as well as, you know, the uh, pelleting and, and packaging. And they do need to be packaged. When, in order to preserve hops... We're, Allison was talking about hops for this beer that were grown last year. Well, to keep those good quality, they've got to be kept out, keep out the oxygen, keep out the sunlight, keep out the heat. And so they're packaged in, in mylar bags that are airtight and vacuum sealed. And that's how we keep them good quality for a year or two so that the brewer can use them over a period of time. Another question. Uh, among the varieties that are currently used commercially, what is the oldest that we know about? The, I don't know if it's the oldest, but it's the, one of the oldest ones in, in the United States is Cluster. And that's, that was actually grown in the Pacific Northwest um, up until recently. It was first grown in New York, and most of the fields in New York were either seedlings of cluster or cuttings from cluster, and, it, and that was one of the problems that we had was a variety that was pretty susceptible to disease. And so when you have a monoculture of one variety, we had a lot of problems with it. Um, so we're not doing a lot of cluster in New York, even though it is a high-yielding variety, and it's still a variety that brewers like to use. Um, Brewer's Gold is another one that's, that's an old variety. Uh, and I think most of what you'll see out there are varieties that have been in, a, in the Pacific Northwest breeding program. So things like Chinook and Cascade, Centennial, um, they, they've been around for a while. Do you grow Simcoe and Citra? 
So that, that, that brings up a good question. The question was, do we grow Simcoe and Citra? And, and of course, there are some varieties out there that are proprietary. So things like Mosaic and Citra, Amarillo, Simcoe, those are owned by a company that owns the rights to, to the production, and they lease that out to only certain growers. So, so far, we haven't had uh, the opportunity to grow those in New York, even to put them in a variety trial. And I do work with those people quite a bit to try to get them to consider that we would grow some on a small scale in, in the East so we could see what they would, how they would grow. I think the concern is that as a brewer, if I buy Citra, I expect Citra to taste this way. And if I have Citra that comes from New Hampshire or New York or Pennsylvania, it is going to taste different. And I'm the owner of that, that variety. I want to keep it to always taste the same. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we do have some opportunities to try some of those varieties and, and, and grow them in a, on a larger scale. Yeah. So a quick question for you. Um, do you have any plans to work with hop varieties that lend themselves more to wet hopping versus pelletizing? So wet hopping versus pelletizing. And I think, you know, most of the the production that was in New York four or five years ago was almost all put into wet hops, and I think a, a lot of it was Cascade. I mean, that that's probably the largest uh, amount of acreage that we have right now is Cascade. Um, is there something in particular you were thinking about? You know, I what when I first started this, what brewers told me was if if a grower brought me really good quality, I would make a beer with it. You know, and that, a few years ago, I mean, the, the Brewers Association will tell you that a few years ago, um, we didn't have that many breweries. We're up to 230 in New York State right now. Half of those are farm breweries. And there means there's a lot of innovation out there, a lot of competition, and... Um, a lot of people are looking for the next best thing. So I think you can use um, what, a lot of different varieties for wet hops, brews, depending on what you want to make. And to, on, on that note, um, one of the interesting things that we see in trends is that people want local, I mean, hyper-local to the point where now they'll, they'll call it indie. Um, but people, like we said, like to know where their food comes from, and so they like to know, you know, they want to drink something that's local, and to be able to offer beer that's made with all local hops or all local grain or even all New York State products, um, that's, that's an interesting thing for people. That's something that they latch on to and that they want to seek out and try. A lot of people don't realize Cascade's a very commonly used hop out there now, but when it was first uh, developed, it was used primarily as a bittering hop, and not so much anymore. The the uh, the, the bittering potential of that is is half of what most of the varieties that are used for bittering now. So it uh, that does not have that great a utilization, but it has people found that it had a lot of oils in it that had other had other uh, benefits. Is Cornell looking to do any kind of breeding? It's kind of fraught with disaster because you don't want the male plants out there. But are they looking at doing any hop varietal development on the East Coast? Yeah, so the, that's a great question. You know, it, it's pretty expensive to run a, a plant breeding program. About It takes about $250,000 a year to have a really good plant breeding program. And it takes about 10 years to get a variety to the market. And I think the question would be, okay, what do we want to end up with? Because when you're doing plant breeding, you really have to target what, what do you want to, is it disease resistance? Is it high alpha? Is it more oils? So what's going to be important 10 years from now? Um, so the answer right now is that we don't really have the money to do that, but I'm, I'm also involved with uh, writing some grants with about 10 other states in the Northeast and we do have a grant into USDA right now that's being reviewed that would include a, a plant breeding program for all the way from Wisconsin and Minnesota to New York. So if we get funded for that, we may, we may have some, 
some East Coast plant breeding. Right now, what we're trying to do is go out and find wild varieties or feral varieties that we can utilize and, and see if um, they're gonna have good quality. The, one of the pictures I showed you earlier, um, that hop that we have, uh, that produced like 12 pounds, I, I mentioned, um, that had a really distinct um, smell like, uh, like mint. Had a very minty, a lot of mint oil in it. So, I don't know. We'll, we've, we do have a, a couple brewers who have used it and, and really produced a great beer. Time for one more question. Okay, if not, let's thank our presenters. So as you're um, packing up to leave, we do, do we have some parting gifts for you. The white envelopes are um, a reproduction of a watercolor that, that Steve and his team had made, um, and they're scenes from New York State hop history. And there's also pins on the table, Omegang hop pins. I hope that you'll take those and wear them. Um, and please come see us in New York. We'd love to welcome you to our brewery. Your bottle opener that's in there. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2016, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2016, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.